Good morning, mat. everyone. Thanks for joining us this morning, for shoveling your way out. Uh, I do want to introduce, this is a good friend of mine, John Arelli. John and his wife, Arlita, pastor the Vineyard Church in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, John and his son, Elias, are up here visiting with us. Uh, John was speaking at our men's conference that we had uh, the last couple days, and uh, they've been thoroughly in enjoying the snow. As you can imagine, San Antonio is very boring when it comes to weather, and uh, they just get like a lot of sunshine, right? Lots and lots of sunshine. And a little bit of rain. And some rain. Yeah, but not a lot of snow and ice. Although there was that one time where almost all Texas shut down because of an ice storm. So ironically, when I left to come here, every flight was canceled uh, because it got to 30 degrees. Dude, that's like, that's like shorts and tank top weather here. Yeah, yeah. But, but for us, it shut down the city. So my, my daughter got two days of school off. Two days of school off because the weather was 30 Because it degrees. was 30 degrees. Yeah. yeah. So here's what I wanted to do. Let me, let me give, I'm going to give you guys a couple disclaimers. I almost never start with disclaimers, but I thought truth in advertising, I should give you a couple disclaimers this morning. John and I have not planned or practiced what we're going to do up here today uh, at all. Disclaimer number one. Uh, disclaimer number two. I'm not good when I don't practice. <laughs> John, it doesn't matter. John's good like all the time. Here's what, here's the conversation I wanted to have with him. I've known John and Arlita for more than a decade. Uh, Arlita was actually, she served alongside me on the Multiply Vineyard Church Planning Team uh, for most of this last decade. And so I've gotten to know these guys and their family really well. Uh, we're going through a study through the book of Mark. By the way, if you want to open up your Bible, I'm going to go to Mark chapter 7. And the Bible is there in the chair in front of you. It's page 687, Mark chapter 7. And uh, what I wanted to do, I was reading through this passage uh, in, over the last couple of weeks and thinking about John being here and thinking about some of the strengths that I see in him as an individual, but then also in their family. And uh, so what I wanted, and, and then I was reading this passage, and the main thing I saw in this passage was the way that the teachers of the law in Jesus' day were frustrated at him because he wasn't following all of their rules. And he was doing something different than the rules that they had set out, which were not bad rules. A lot of those rules actually came from parts of the Old Testament, and they had kind of built on that to build a structure of what it meant to be the people of God. And so, um, and Jesus was like, just disregarding, like it seemed like a bunch of those to, to maybe get at something deeper. And it's so easy for us to like fall into a rut, the same rut that the teachers of the law at that point had fallen into, where going through the motions is the same thing as the real thing. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your relationship with God or with any other human being, where you can just kind of go through the motions but it's not the same thing. You can go through the motions in your marriage. You can go through the motions and with your relationship with your children, with your parents, with at work and, and at church. 
But the thing that like originally got you into it, the reason that you started showing up there, the reason that you got married, the, the, the joy you felt when your kids were born, that like, like all those things could get lost in just the and, 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 and I see that conflict going on here. And I'll talk about it. I'll read a little passage. I'll talk about it in more detail. Mm-hmm. But let me just not do a monologue like I could do and draw you into the conversation like a good host should do. Um, have you experienced that? Oh, yeah. Especially when I'm scared. Uh, there, John spoke a little bit about anxiety. And you've got a speaker coming next week talking about anxiety. When I get scared, I typically... Uh, that the thinking go, goes down in me, and so I, I just get to this place of quiet and avoidance. Uh, but when it comes to my daughter, I can't do that. My daughter's 14, and I love her. And my daughter, if you know anybody that's in high school, they get hit with the biggest conversation, bigger conversations than I've ever had before in my life. And they're getting hit with them every single day. And so she wakes up, and I could just go, okay, let's get in the car, let's go to school. Get into that rut of just rhythm of let's just, let's go. And you know how the morning routine can go, parents. And there was this moment. I just went, wait a second. There's something, there's something going on. And in order for me to be honest to what God's put in me, I had to pause hmm. and allow for maybe what God's kingdom was saying in me, saying, hey, there's something going on. And I just took a risk on it. Because you could be wrong, parents. You, maybe you're just worried. And I get worried. And I said, What's, is there something else going on today that maybe is a little different? And we were able to spend like a half hour of just leaning into that and welcoming Jesus into that stuff. Where, again, I'm scared for my daughter. She's 14 and she's my first and I don't want any boys around her. I don't want, and I don't want her to be at school. I'd rather she home. But there are moments where we get to step out of the rut and be honest to maybe what God's saying in us and respond in a in very different way. Yeah. And it's, it's part of that's just paying, paying attention, right? Being that's awake. Right. Paying right. attention, being awake, not getting in the rut. So I'm, I'm going to read the first part of this because I think there's some yeah. kind of a couple cool yes. little things in here. Mark 7, uh, it starts in verse 1 and it reads like this. The Pharisees and some teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, <laughs> that is unwashed. We try that with our kids. Go wash your hands. They're defiled. <laughs> that, that might not go well, huh? I'm a grandfather. It's like, that's kind of fun to say. Uh, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. I do the same thing. I have a dishwasher. So, verse 5, the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Like, why are you doing things differently than the rest of us? How come you guys... And if you remember anything about what we've been going through Mark, in Mark, Mark hasn't made it to the big city yet. He hasn't made it... I mean, Jesus hasn't made it to the big city. He's not hanging out in Jerusalem. They're hearing enough about him. So many crowds are gathered around. He's fed 4,000 from a little boy's lunch. He's fed 5,000 from a little boy's lunch on different sides of the Sea of Galilee. Like crowds are following him. And now the teachers of the law are coming. And when they come, they're like, why why are you guys like breaking the rituals and traditions? Right? Not fitting into the mold that they are expected to fit in. But I I have two thoughts about that. Rituals and traditions are not evil. 
Nope. They're actually really healthy, helpful, and really good. Yep. Like there, there's a book called Strange Rights that I read last year um, by Tara uh, Burton. Tara something. Okay. She puts all three names in there. Tara Elizabeth Burton, something like that. We can anyway, her. Strange Rights. Yeah. And, and she's actually talking about like studies in religion, basically the glue that helps keep a society together, a set of rituals and beliefs that people affirm in order to strengthen their identity as a group. And it provides like meaning, it provides purpose, it provides community, and then, and then the formal occasions where we participate together, like coming to church or taking communion, are actually really helpful things. And so when, when I'm thinking, like, like I, I, I'm, I'm talking today about like faith versus um, religion, I'm not saying that religion itself is bad. No. There's really good stuff about it, and yet it can become like just going through the motions. Yeah, for me, it's the, it's the outside stuff where my heart and motivation is. Is it towards the outside stuff or is it towards the inside stuff that nobody, and that really means something. So let me give you an example. When I come into this church, and it's a great church to visit, there's, I can tell from looking in the eyes of the people that I see in this church mm-hmm. that their motivation is not on the outside stuff. That's because... That's all you can see. Well, yeah, you are focusing more on people's eyes these days. But there is something that you can't work up about this place. Hmm. This authenticity about the worship. This authenticity about the pastoral staff. Every, every man that I met yesterday at the men's conference. There's something that you can't work up on the outside that's hmm. motivating them. Hmm. That's so pure and so good that... Like, I, I could think about, like, the external motivations of religion, which are, you know, name them, yeah, yeah, attending yeah. church, whatever. But when I think of the moment of locking eyes with somebody in mm. this church, mm. there's a whole different kind of soul experience that I'm having. I am so in this for what it means for like my family and my friends to be able to lock eyes with somebody who's so connected with Jesus that the outside stuff, although it's good, like let's go to a party. Let's go engage people that we don't know. Let's go to church or small group and all that stuff. And that is the fruit of the amazing interior motivation. It's, I think Jesus speaks to this. What it means that the outside is a product of the inside of what he's already done, how the kingdom is settled in your heart, then all of a sudden my motivation and my focus is on that and replicating that. I want more of that. What I see in this church, it's so good to be at like, by the way, this is like, you know, you, have, you might have like a sister church in your life, like you know, pastors, they have sister church. This is like my uncle church. This is the fun church I go to where we get to go sledding and have fun and adventure in Jeeps and like. So this is like the weird uncle. A little bit weird, but so fun. The crazy uncle. And can I tell you, not like dad at all. In any case, the, um, not like dad. I love dad. In any case, uh, the the ability to be in this place just reminds me of the kingdom heart motivation because I see it on your, like I walked into the church and I found one of your, your past, they found me. And all of a sudden, the presence of God and the motivation just came true. And if I were living here, Maybe you're online right now. If I were living here, I would want every friend and family member to be able to lock eyes with the people in this place Mm. because of the motivation 
that I see, that it's not about the external. And there are plenty of places in this world that are asking us to attend to the external. Put on this robe, put on this this motivation in your life, whatever, be political or whatever, I, I don't care. It's like, no, come to a place where our interior motivations that the kingdom of God would live in you in such a pure and distinct way that it just overflows in the way that people see you. Hmm. And I can imagine as Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the religious people and saying, I know you're doing the religious stuff and that's so good, but when I lock eyes with you, when I see what comes uh, from your hands and what you're doing, when I hear what comes out of your mouth, I know where that's coming from. We all know when we meet somebody if it's fake or not, don't we? I want to be more and more in those places where I know the people that I'm with the motivation is so pure and so authentic that there's no worry about, am I going to be loved? Am I going to be accepted? Are they going to ask me to put on one of their external motivations in order to attend here? No, I just get to be and be loved for who I am. Yeah. That's what I think, what the, you know, Michael said, we're paying attention because the kingdom is living in our hearts. We're paying attention, whether it's to our kids or someone else. Well, we can do that with everyone. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, our motivation is to see God, his life, his kingdom rising up in people because of the love, the motivation of love. Yeah, that's good. That's coming out there. So then what I notice that sometimes we do is that then as we're learning that or as we're experiencing that, then we just kind of start throwing off some of the actual really good practices. Like, yes. I don't want to be like the Pharisees, so I don't want any practices. Oh. I'm not going to get mm-hmm. up early. I'm not going to spend any time with Jesus. I'm not going to crack open my Bible anymore because it's, you know, <laughs> so many rules. I can't do it all. And, like, and, then, and we just throw off all that stuff that's actually still really good stuff. Critical stuff. Yeah. And so, like, how do you, how do you balance that? I was, I was actually, I was reading a tweet. I want to read this little quote because I thought it was do amazing. It. it was a tweet that I saw from a pastor that I follow on, on uh, what's the tweeter thing? Twitter. Twitter. And, uh, thank you. And, uh, and, he, and he wrote this. He goes, the practices are not the point. The relationship they nurture is the point. Yeah. Right. The, the practices, just, just ticking off the practices isn't the point. It's not that I don't do them, but it's that I lean into those practices because they are nurturing a relationship. For you just personally, how how have you learned to balance that? Yeah, so I I don't know if if you're like this at all. You're probably not. But sometimes I feel great in talking with people, Mm -hmm. and sometimes I just feel empty. In talking with people? What's that? In talking with people. Talking with people, engaging the world. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, nah. Don't want to. I'm an introvert. That's like every morning. Okay. So me being like extroverted Italian, maybe it's a little bit. Have you noticed that he is, comes from Italian heritage? Ooh. Can, you, can you give us an Italian like? I can. Please. I can. It's one of the joys of my life. Because of what you needed to know. <laughs> this morning is inside of my soul. He's a very big. <laughs> So if my soul feels small, if my soul feels small, I am like sad, very sad. 
And I need to go to God and say, what's going on? What's wrong? I, you know, I have a friend in Duluth that this is actually how he talks. Like, I wish we got together more. Well, I, maybe God's saying something there. Yeah. That's for you and him to deal with. But... <laughs> Jesus, we just ask, I'm, this is serious, Lord, for more time with that man. I'm, I'm actually really good at talking with people, and I do have a lot of energy for people. And I could, like, I could do, like, attentive conversation on my own. I can do that. I can talk with neighbors and like, hey, neighbor, and I can even like, can I mow your lawn? And I might forget the next week, but I can like do that. <laughs> I can do that. So the Lord reminded me about a year ago. He said, hey, I, I know you've got all these people in your life that you want to love and be John in front of and big, let your soul be big. Oh, good for you, John. Would you just start praying for them, please? I went praying for them. No, they like me. I'll be fine. Lord, No. Just write a list and just start praying for them. And for those of you who are getting intimidated, I spoke to the men about this yesterday. Uh, I'm not saying like, and Lord, for Susie and her this, and spending an hour on Susie. I'm just saying, Lord, Susie, Brian, Mary, Michael, not yet. (laughs) And... And what does that do? Like, those practices are practical for my soul, right? I do not carry the relationship with Brian and Mary, especially when Brian and Mary, like, I'm a bad neighbor to Brian and Mary. Brian mows my lawn for me. Because? Because I don't mow it on his schedule. <laughs> and, like, all of a sudden, Brian and Mary, like, he, Brian will text me, look on your porch, and there's, like, a whole meal for our family. We're fine, but maybe not in his eyes. I don't know. So, like, maybe we're under, we're malnourished. Anyway, uh, but the prayer means that, God, I'm I'm lifting this relationship to you for you to tend to it. Mm. And then every single interaction has the power of the kingdom on it and not just my extroverted Italianness, which can honestly ruin a lot of relationships. It's never ruined ours. Thank God. We, but we live on opposite ends of I-35. That's right. I-35 <laughs> protects Michael and I's relationship because of my ex. I better not move any closer. <laughs> oh, no. You, you can move closer. So, um, what, what, what that quote about the, the practices yeah. are not the point, relationships and nurture are the point, one yeah. of the things that that dialed up for me was an old quote by one of the guys that was actually the father of our community of churches, John Wimber. Yep. He used to make this comment. He, he used to say, uh, the Bible is not the meal. Mm. The Bible is the menu for the meal. Now, in saying that, you have to, you have to hear me say, and John would have said the exact same thing, I love the scriptures. I read the scriptures more than most people I know. I read through the whole Bible every year, and I've been doing it since like 78, 79. Like, I love the scriptures. I study the scriptures. I love looking up things in Greek and Hebrew. I love like just dialoguing it. And yet, the Bible alone is not the thing that God's inviting us into. Yeah. Just to become students of the scripture who never actually do the scripture, right? And so I love to think of the Bible as the menu. 
when I sit down at a restaurant, I don't start licking the menu. I don't start eating the menu. I don't just end with the menu and go, wow, that was awesome. I studied the menu. I know how much everything is. I took pictures of it. I'm taking it home. And my, you know, my, no, like I order something off the menu. I, I want to experience the meal, the relationship with God. And so I think that's true about like all the different practices that we're invited into. The experience of the practice, so if I never interact with my neighbors, but I'm praying for them all the time, I really don't get to experience God's presence and work yeah. in their lives. So another thing that John had said was the meat is in the streets. Yeah. So what does that do for me? It, it helps me, it motivates me to the menu because I want to know what he's doing in the world and how he works in the world. There and, you go. Uh, so on, on the way to school, uh, it's hard to, to like put this into practice but my daughter and I listen to a devotional just over the Bluetooth to the car. Sometimes it doesn't work just right. But by the time we're at school, there's something rooted in expectation, a menu of how the kingdom could work out in our lives that day. So it kind of sets an expectation. But then the meat of the day is when we go, okay, Lord, we'd love to see this today. And at the end of the day, well, how was it? We remember we were, we were talking about this and maybe we were praying about, oh, dad relationship is so different now hmm. and can I tell you the difference of experiencing that love from God now that we looked at the menu and had the experience and, and went for the meat in the streets and now this experience of the kingdom is, is rooted in our lives and then an expectation again well maybe God will show up again and so we go for it again it's good. I may be taking you completely no, away. No, that's good. It's excellent. It's really good. All right. I'm going to get back to the passage because there's another thing I want to probably do that. There's now. another thing I want to hit here. Verse 6. We're in Mark chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus replies now to these teachers of the law. And he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Yeah. <laughs> As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Here's the thing I think. I'm really guessing that when one of these teachers of the law was born and they were being raised in their family and their tradition, that they actually didn't set out to be hypocritical. It wasn't like, you know, in second grade, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a hypocrite. It's like, I don't think anybody like starts there. And yet it's so easy to end up there. So the word hypocrite actually refers to somebody who's acting that what's going on on the inside is not the same as what's going on on the outside. Somebody who pretends to be other than we are with this root in the word of passing judgment on the others who don't measure up. And it's actually not that difficult to start relationship with Jesus and really being loved by God and then find yourself in the seat of a hypocrite as you go through life. Yeah. It's not that. It's like, I think most of us, if we're honest, we get to that point more often than we'd like to realize. And so, how do you, for you, how do you recognize that point in you? Right? And then, what, what do you do to go out of that? Henry Noun would say that this moment... Yeah, wait, this one right here? This moment of confrontation, of, of oh. confrontation in, in being a hypocrite and and acting and, and, and noticing that you're being a hypocrite, that this moment uh, deserves and needs um, confession. Ah. So 
there are people, I don't know, like I'm, I'm a really boisterous Italian guy, and so you think I just love everyone. And if you come to my house, I serve you pasta, it's probably a good chance I love you. Uh, there are some people I don't like. Did we get pasta? And there are some people that, well, yeah, I don't want to have them at the house. Yeah. And I judge them really badly because of the direction that they want to take their lives. Hmm. And so I started praying for them too. The Lord said, yeah, that's nice. Now you have to pray for them. And I started seeing God's eyes, not on them first, but on me first. And he said, you know, you think you're so far off. (laughs) You think you're so much better because you've decided that this part of their life is so horrible when really you need some work too, my friend. And I couldn't act as if there were two different worlds that we could live in where I am obviously loved by God and you're not because you're going in a different direction. And I began praying for them and God started saying some things out of the scripture like, yeah, John, I'm making a kingdom of priests. What that means in the scripture is, yeah, I'm inviting them by your presence in their lives. If you would stop judging them, which is actually cursing, when we start judging people and say, oh, they're going to be, they're ruining my life. They're always going to be, whatever. Yeah. We actually start cursing them. We speak like really bad words over them and uh, think that we've got it all together when really what God's doing is asking them into his kingdom. So I think that, that hypocrisy stuff comes from a place where we start prioritizing what we think is amazing about us and we start judging when other people don't add up to it. We start thinking that we can do it all and what, it, what I'm doing is obviously much better. But what God is doing is actually much, much better. So I think when it comes to the religious practices, it, it's the same way. Obviously, this is the most... I am in my Bible every day and this is what it really means to be a Christian. And all of a sudden, by saying that, we might judge how God is inviting other people into his presence and the sacrifices that he's asking them to make. Uh, And we come together. That's, again, one of the most beautiful things about the church and being a part of the church, this church, which is always a local community, I think, in the scriptures that we're supposed to attend ourselves to is that we get to see and experience how God is working in other people in authentic ways. And it's not just about us. I get to see that person. How The church is the gift of where we get to see how God is moving in others in beautiful ways. And we, we get lost yeah. from our own judgment and hypocrisy. Yeah. If this, this, kind of, this church, I know is. And then, but it's interesting because then following the way of Jesus, yeah. the way that they get invited in and actually get to experience is if we're willing to lay down our lives yes. to let them in. Like that's following the way of Jesus. It's not them measuring up and doing the right things to get into the community. No. It's Jesus laid down his life so we could have relationship. We're called to actually lay down our lives to allow them to come in. Which is like, that's, like, that's a fascinating thought to me. Because it's so different than the way most communities, most families work. Where you have, there's a, this barrier that you have to jump over. And yep. once you jump over it, and we all see you jump over it, yep. then we approve of you and you're one of us. Yeah. And what's, what's it look like for us to 
actually lay down on the barrier. Yeah. Jesus did that for me. <laughs> yeah. He took his own strength and amazingness. Right, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Although it was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but yeah. made himself nothing, yeah. taking the very nature of a servant, being obedient to God, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We, the hypocrisy is also this place where we want to like bolster, bolster ourselves and make ourselves like proud in front of people, which I think within religious society can happen really easily. Yeah. That my views, you'll get to be known for my views. But in the Philippians 2, where Jesus' posture is and what he invites us into is, <laughs> then God raised him up to the highest place. His surrender, his servanthood, mm -hmm. his vulnerability, even though he didn't have to, God raised him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, we all bow down. We all bow down. Uh, yeah, it, the practical note of that for me is inviting those people that I judge so much into a conversation of vulnerability where I say, hey, I just want to let you know person I don't want to have this conversation with because it's so uncomfortable because I judge you so much that God's really done something in me and he's transforming my life in this specific way and so this has happened recently with someone I didn't want to have this conversation with and you should have seen his eyes light up and go whoa you're experiencing that too <laughs> And now we have each other's cell phone. He invited me out for a beer, which I haven't done yet. But there's this moment of like, togetherness and the expectation that God is at work saving us together, mm. all of us. Mm. And the posture of servanthood says, yeah, me too. And I'm going to lay down whatever pride I have and whatever I think I am for the sake of us seeing Jesus together. And in each other. I'm looking forward to that. I think he, this guy, do you think that, I, this is another amazing thing. The people that I judge actually have something to tell me about God. I hate that too. <laughs> but I have, I'm expecting it. Yeah. Yeah, if you, if, if, if you think about the way, one of the ways that we get to like a clear picture of who God is, it's actually in community with folks that are wildly different than us. Mm -hmm. Living in our current echo chambers, uh, whether we're more on the left or more on the right or more completely independent or more totally engaged, like we actually don't get a very clear view of who God is and what he really thinks about all of life. It's as we engage together that we see things from a different perspective amongst those who are following Jesus and who aren't. That's right. That we get to see parts of who the character and nature of God is because all the humans are created in his image. Mm -hmm. And there's something real. It doesn't mean that they're all surrendered to his to what he's doing but there's something incredibly powerful about being around folks who are really really different and that's part of where the sacrifice lies in in beginning to interact with folks that maybe make me feel a little uncomfortable in different ways mm -hmm. that jesus goes on and, he's, and he says something to these guys verse seven he says they worship me in vain their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he 
And he said, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Mm-hmm. And it's like, here, here are folks who were given to the commands of God. Like their whole, their, their whole purpose in life was the commands of God. And now Jesus is standing in front of them saying, you have a fine way of setting these things aside to observe your own traditions. And man, I wonder for us how many times we want it to look like we're worshiping God we want our lives to kind of look like I'm aligned with Christianity or with God or maybe not with Christianity but with God and yet what's going on inside isn't really that at all there's something like that God's getting to that's way deeper the there's a writer N.T. Wright and he speaks about this passage a little bit And there's one thing that he says, that one of the warnings is that we're using our external activities, even religious ones, as excuses to avoid the simple and practical ways of living out the reality of the kingdom. Ooh, say that again. The question about being religious and and, and adding those things to our lives can sometimes become excuses. They're external activities of importance that we think are important that become excuses to avoid the simple and practical ways of living out the reality of the kingdom. Hmm. So does my religious activity help my heart posture itself towards God's kingdom and his activity? Or does my religious activity posture my heart to become more inward Hmm. and avoidant? Hmm. That's good. Or just meet my own needs. Or just meet my own needs. Yeah. And then Jesus goes on in verses 10 to 13. He says, let me talk about this really practical with you guys. He says, the Bible says very clearly, honor your mom and your dad. Honor your father and mother. And then he goes, here's what you've done. You've taken stuff. You've decided that anything in my life that could be used to honor my mom and dad is already set aside for God. I don't have to follow through with honoring mom and dad. I can just use that however I want to. Right? And it, but it's basically, like, here's something that was set aside to honor mom and dad. That's all I needed to do. And now I can go buy a new motorcycle with it for myself. Right? And I, I just, I thought, how often do we do that where we're playing this mind game? Like, you know what? My life is fully devoted to God. And so because of that, now I can just go do whatever I want. That's right. I can decide how I want my life to work. It's like I'm pretending God's in the driver's seat. This is the definition of a hypocrite. And really, I'm the one when it comes to, in this case, like the resources that I would be honoring mom and dad with. It could be anything. It could be our sexuality. It could be our time and energy. It could be our money that we're pretending it's set aside for God. But really, I'm just doing whatever and the cuss word I want to do with it. Yeah, and we're really good at adjusting the law. (laughs) <laughs> and how we interpret the law yeah. to make it really good for me. So, uh, whether that's the Bible or whether it's what, whatever rules you want to make, we can make, it's really easy to make ourselves the center of, of all of that. When God is continuing to ask us, okay, well, what would it mean for you to posture yourself in a way to be about my kingdom activity as your priority and not whatever you can get out of this as your priority? Here you go. There's a posture of the heart, and, and we know it. If my religious activity is making more enemies than making more love. <laughs> there might be something wrong. Right? <laughs> if, if I'm resenting my family yeah. because of what they're not doing for me, then maybe it's not God's kingdom that I'm prioritizing. Maybe it's my own kingdom that I'm prioritizing. Yeah. That's, that's right on.
And then the last little part I want to touch, verses 14 through 23, Jesus goes on this long thing about how we're not defiled by having dirty hands. We're not defiled by what's coming to us from the outside. We are defiled by what comes out of us. We're not defiled by whom we hang out with. We're defiled by what's coming out of us. That's what makes us unclean and dirty. And then he goes on and lists like all this different stuff. And I think of like the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 listing the fruits of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh. We're defiled by the works of the flesh coming out of us. I, I'll, I, um, I remember as a much younger dude with not a white beard um, coming to grips with that whole concept in the scriptures, realizing that the things I was saying didn't actually reflect the nature and the character of God, the Holy Spirit living in me, and feeling like almost every time I opened my mouth, what was coming out was like filthy, unclean kinds of stuff, just in attitudes and in judgment and... Uh, cancel culture long before there was a cancel culture but there still was like it's always existed and like just that stuff coming out of me was like and I just remember becoming aware of it and almost feeling like oh my gosh I, I don't actually want to verbalize any of my thoughts anymore because it feels so defiled mm-hmm. and then allowing God to begin to clean things and, and noticing like where is that stuff actually coming from where does that how does that bubble up? God, would you begin to go deeper in that kind of work? And that's led me on like a 30-year journey of saying, Lord, would you clean up the stuff that's way deep inside before it gets a chance to come out? And that's not for the sake of becoming a better-looking, moral, religious person. That's not for the sake of your words looking better. Yeah. Let me tell you what the fruit of that is. I go to parties now with swim parents of swim team stuff or whatever, friends, and uh, maybe it's somebody at the party that's like, oh yeah, we definitely are eating those marijuana chewables and I'm high right now. So as a Christian, I could go, well, I'm out. Bye. This place is defiled. And all of a sudden, because of what the Lord has built in me and how he's cleaned up my heart, not only are my words reflecting him, but they're also reflecting his kingdom. So in a situation where I, I might be in the presence of folks that I might judge and you're not Christian at all and whatever, instead of my judgment coming out, the reality of the kingdom in their context comes out. So because of what God's done in me and cleaning up my heart, hey, you know, I really think that God has this plan to make us so full of joy that sometimes we're medicating stuff that we don't realize we're medicating. And mm-hmm. his presence lays the groundwork for a place of peace that we would never be able to realize unless we were really honest with him. Mm-hmm. That's what he's brought me to. So not only is it for the sake of like, man, my actions really need to reflect kingdom in me. Yeah. But it's also my words can now reflect a kingdom expectation that's totally different yeah. no matter what context I'm in. Exactly. That's really good. Well, we've used up our time. Good. Good. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and I hope, hopefully it wasn't too painful. Um, 
I want to move into a time where we just pray for one another and invite the Holy Spirit to come and do some stuff in us. I have a feeling that as we were chatting, I know it was true for me, God begins to dial up some stuff that he wants to bring some some healing to. And so let's uh, stand up. Uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to make a way out there. If you're on the ministry team, why don't you come up here in the front, just right now, just make your way up here. And... Um, John and I are just going to pray for a moment and then maybe if God's doing anything in your life, the folks up here in the front, we would love to pray for you. Or you can just grab somebody next to you and just say, would you pray for me? Um, Because I I think the, the hard part about coming to a thing like this is it's easy to get something dialed up and then just think I'll deal with it later. Hmm. And... Like, that's actually a kind of a dangerous mode to get in. Because you end up never actually having the time or the opportunity to dial up some of the stuff that God's just beginning to poke at that would actually help you become a much more healthy uh, follower of Christ in that regard. And if you're here today and you're not following Christ, it's like, man, I would invite you. Come up and talk with somebody and just ask some more questions about that. We would love to introduce you to the alive, resurrected Christ who would fill your life with the spirit and actually begin some of this change. But um, yeah, so let's just begin by praying. And if you want to respond at any point, make your way up to the front. You want to start in, in yeah. prayer? Just, uh, just three words, Lord, opening up the, the door of my heart. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for this hour or whatever it's been that we can attend our hearts to you. And so right now, God, we just say, don't waste it. God, don't hold back. I'm here. Don't hold back. I don't want to waste this moment. Father, would you highlight an area for each of us in this moment Mm -hmm. where we've just kind of gone through the motions. We've not been awake. And it's actually produced negative fruit in our lives. We haven't just been, we haven't been paying attention to what you've been saying or doing. Would you give us that gift, Lord, of putting your finger on one of those things? And when, when God puts his finger on something, I would encourage you, don't, don't argue with him about it. Don't go, well, not that one. Just like, a, oh, all right. He's trustworthy. He's kind. He's loving. He's very compassionate. And if he's highlighting something, it's because he wants to heal it. No matter how much you want to keep that wound hidden and invisible. Mm -hmm. He actually wants to fill it with light. Bring incredible healing to that area. And so, if if God highlights something that an area where you've been unaware, I think he wants to bring healing too. Come Come on up here and get some prayer. Just wherever you're at right now, just leave that row, come on up here. If somebody's in the way getting out of the row, just, you know, push them down. No, that was a joke. It was a hockey joke. 
Yeah, there's a real freedom that God wants to bring to whether it's being in the scripture or spending time with him or clearing out the background noise that we carry from judgment, hypocrisy, all that kind of stuff. God just wants to clear that out and make space for just more freedom in your life. Just say yes. Yep, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to surrender. I don't want to be bogged down or distracted by that anymore. I just, I just want to be free. And for others of us, there's people in your life that you've kind of shut the door on that I feel like God might be inviting you to open that door up and actually learn something about him from them no matter their orientation towards God. Mm-hmm. There's something he wants to teach you about himself. And so God, would you bring to mind who that might be for us? And I ask, Lord, even today, would you give us the courage to just reach out and go, hey, I was thinking about you today. Would you give us courage, God, to follow your spirit Spirit, just come. We've been seeing God also do some really cool physical healing around here as of late. And so if you want prayer for anything going on kind of physically in your body and of course emotionally or any other way, we would love to pray for you. And so these guys are going to lead us here in a little bit of worship. We'll just hang out here for a little bit and really just allow the Spirit of God to move. I think he wants to actually... Just do some, do some really cool loving work with us. And so as these guys lead us in worship, come and get some prayer. Thanks for coming to the vineyard today. It's good to be with you guys. welcome to God because of what's going on. There's a sense of judgment. I know I'm interrupting the worship. God is just saying you're welcome. If there's a judgment you're holding against yourself, you feel like you don't add up. God is saying you're welcome. So just come down. Sorry. You can worship more, but come. Don't hesitate to come.